Well, welcome. Kia ora, ni hao, anyong haseo, apakaba. And I'm sure I'm missing a whole lot, but it was nice to get a little wave down there. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, we're going to be talking about identity this morning, but before we do that, there's one more thing we need to talk about very quickly, which is the fact that Liz and I are going to be heading away in a couple of weeks uh, on some long service leave, on a sabbatical, which is uh, we're pretty excited about. Uh, in Elam, there's provision for senior ministers to take um, a sabbatical, take some long service leave, about every 10 years in order to get away and rest and refresh and kind of revision for next season. So we don't kind of get stuck in old thinking. And uh, when we came up from Dunedin, we just we were due sabbatical, and but we changed churches, so we lost that. And so it's been 19 years for us, and but now time has come, and so we're due again. So we're going to take it this time, which we're quite excited about. So um, we're going to be um, away for, for quite a few weeks over kind of Christmas and the New Year's. You won't see us around. Um, but most importantly, we've got an absolutely phenomenal lineup of preaching and teaching while we're away, as well as having, of course, Bob, Pastor Bob, and Pastor Dan, and Pastor Shane. We're going to have um, a whole bunch of other guys. We've got Pastor Boyd's going to be speaking at one point, who's our national leader. We've got Pastor Luke coming in to preach. We've got Pastor Adrian Daniels, who heads up our online church. We've got Pastor Mike DeVetta from Whangarei coming down to speak. We've got Pastor Adam and Pastor Darcy from our Papakura um, church as well. Uh, we've just got a whole bunch of, of great speakers. So you're going to have a fantastic fair of some great variety, but some really great preaching and teaching over the next couple of months, and we'll be back at the end of February. So um, please pray for us on our time away. We want it to be um, of real use uh, for what God's calling us to in the future, and as part of this community and part of what we're doing here. Um, but we are making sure that you're going to have a great time while we are away. So that's exciting. Right, so identity. We're going to talk about identity today. And so you know, when it comes down to the, the, the conversation around identity, if I was to sit with you one-on-one in our cafe after the service and look across the table and say to you, who are you? If I was to ask you that question, chances are you're going to come back to me with, well, I am. And as soon as we use those words, I am, we know we're talking about identity. Um, the identity of anything is defined by its creator. I've got a friend of mine who's a refrigeration engineer, and he's done it a couple of times now where he's come across some very obscure piece of refrigeration or tech equipment, and he takes a photograph of it and he throws it up on Facebook for all of his like-minded electrical techie guys to try and work out what it is. And the question is always, what is this and what's it for? And so then you can follow the feed, you know, everyone's suggesting it's some flux capacitor for this or something or other else, I don't even know. But eventually someone always ends up asking the question, is there a branding on it? Is there a model number? Is there something from which we can identify who made it? Because if we want to understand the identity or the purpose of anything, if we can find out who made it, we can find out what it was made for. And you know what? It's exactly the same for us, right? At the end of the day, if we really want to understand what is our purpose, what is our identity, just like with those things, we need to go to the maker. And the problem is this, right? When people don't know their identity in God, when they don't go to their maker for their identity, the problem is they try to answer the identity question in all sorts of other places. They try and take it from other things, from their career. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I'm a marketer. I'm an accountant. Or from their culture. I'm Pacifica, or I'm Māori, or I'm Irish, or I'm French, or whatever it is. Or they take it from their sexuality. Many people define this, their identity by their sexuality. I'm gay, I'm bisexual, I'm, I'm transgender, or whatever it is. 
or it might be from our interests or our hobbies. I'm a foodie, or I'm a dog person, or I'm a runner, or I'm a gamer, or from our skills. I'm a leader, I'm a trainer, I'm a facilitator, I'm a rescuer. Or sometimes we take our identity from our health. I am ADD, I am depressed, I am anxious. The challenge is, is that while all of us do that to some degree, we all take a little bit of our sense of who we are from a a range of things. The problem is, is that if that's all we have to draw our identity from, I think we are in trouble. Because what happens to our identity when something goes wrong with one of those areas, where maybe we experience failure, for example, in a particular job or particular career? What does that mean then for who we are? Or when we lose somebody's favor, or when we marry into a different culture, or when we move into a different culture, and now we have to assimilate a whole different kind of set of values and worldview, and what does that mean then for who we are. You see, career can change. Interestingly enough, culture even can change. Skills can change. Health can change. So the question then is, where do we find an identity that endures? Now, Jesus, of course, being the master, Jesus gave us some very interesting insight into this issue of identity. And I want to take you to Matthew chapter 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So when Jesus is asking the question, who do people say that I am? It's the identity question, right? Who do people say that I am? And and what was the response? The response was, actually, everyone's got a different idea. Here's the truth this morning. When you look for your identity from people, you are guaranteed to get confusion. Let me say it again. When you look for your identity to people, you are guaranteed to get confusion. It becomes the blind leading the blind. Now, let's follow this through a little bit more. Verse 15. But what about you, he asked. He's speaking to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, sorry, not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now, now this is a a quantum leap here. This is a huge shift. And, And Jesus is making this powerful point that if you're going to understand my identity, it has to be revealed from the Father. And, and that's why this is right, Peter. This is why you're blessed, because you have got this. You know that identity is revealed from God. And then he goes on, he says, And I tell you that you are Peter. You were Simon, son of Jonah. Now, now you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And you thought that Dwayne Johnson was the only guy called the rock. Not so. See, Jesus' identity came from where? From God. That is important. It's also important for us to realize that Peter's identity came from God. And, and, and Jesus is making this very important point to Peter. He says, he says you Simon, and Simon in the Greek, that, that word Simon means one who listens to others. That's what Simon means. And he was saying, you are one who has always listened to others, but now you are Peter. You're the rock. You're going to be someone that other people come to listen to because of your revelation 
of who I am. And then Jesus says, it's going to be on this rock, using this metaphor, that I'm going to build my church. And it's not just the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that the church is going to be built on. It's also on the revelation that identity comes from God. Identity comes from God and not from man. And this was so helpful for Peter, right? Because God, Jesus not only gave Peter his identity, but then went on to outline a little bit of his purpose and what God was going to do with his life. You see, in many Christian traditions, uh, this is illustrated because when, when people come to faith, they actually give them a new name. It's a powerful thought that actually our true identity, who we are from, is not from our past, but comes from our maker. And it's this defining moment in Peter's life, right? It didn't solve all of his problems. It didn't deal with all of his weaknesses. He still had a journey to go on. But, but it was something that defined Peter in a new and fresh way. And we see this coming out of Peter in the years ahead. We see him becoming changed. I mean, you look at the start of one of his letters, right? Listen to this. It says, this is Peter speaking. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. This is an important phrase. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. I'll tell you one thing, I'm not hearing a fisherman speaking here. I'm not hearing a fisherman speaking here. Now this guy, I don't know who he is, but man, he is a rock. He is a, he's a legend. This guy, this is leadership. I mean, he's speaking into these people, Christians scattered under persecution, and he's calling the best out of them, right? He's saying to them, you are the elect. You are the chosen of the chosen, and God has chosen you. I mean, he is speaking life into them. He's calling them to rise up to their highest created potential. I mean, who is this man? This is a man whom God called something out of his life, and he received it. And he chose it. He said, okay, God, I'm going to be that. I'm going to find out what it means to be like that and to be that person for you. And here's the interesting thing that, that this leads us to about identity. You see, when it comes to identity, you choose it. Now, I know some of you are going, yeah, I don't know, I'm not sure if I agree with that. Let me just roll this out a little bit. See, Jesus called it in Peter's life, and then Peter had to choose it and receive it. You go, okay. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to be. Peter could have rejected it. He could have walked away. He could have not fulfilled it. It happens all the time. I mean, let's just take a look at Judas, right? Here's this guy who I am personally convinced that Judas was absolutely called to be a steward of kingdom riches. I believe that Judas was called to be someone that God was going to just administer incredible growth in the early church through, through his ability to, to oversee material things. And, and, and what happened? It didn't go that way at all. I mean, you think about it. Jesus chooses Judas to look after the money, we're told in Scripture. Now, like, do we honestly think that Jesus is just like, ah, oh, stink job, short straw, who can I give it to? Or, or do we think that Jesus is just kind of randomly going, any, many, miny, mo, Peter, Simon, Stadia, oh, we'll give it to Judas. I mean, I don't think that happened at all. I don't think God did anything with that powerful intention. And I think that Jesus saw something in Judas's life. So I think you're going to be great with me. I think this is going to be powerful for you. So I'm going to give this to you, this responsibility to you, Judas. And it was like, be faithful in this. 
Because greater things are ahead. And look, you know, we fast forward to Luke 16 and, and Jesus is teaching. And I can imagine him teaching the crowd, but also with one eye at Judas going, Judas, I hope you're getting this. You know, when Jesus says, he who is faithful with worldly wealth will be trusted with true riches. It's like I can imagine him going, boy, Judas, I hope you're getting this because I'm trusting you with worldly wealth. Just a little bit here. But man, you show yourself faithful with this. You utilize this well. And I tell you, when I'm gone, I'm going to need someone who can administer finance and all sorts of things to see this, this fledgling church just go across the known world and beyond into whole new regions and places. And I need someone. I need someone. I've chosen you, Judas. I hope you can do this. And the great tragedy is that while Jesus called it in his life and gave him responsibility, he didn't choose it. He decided not to be that guy. Instead, he decided to be that worldly, you know, maybe a bit shrewd guy who kind of operated in the gray areas a little bit, cut corners, took what he needed, didn't quite play by the rules, made sure his own pockets were lined on the way through. What a tragedy. What a tragedy, because we know how that ended, both for Judas and as an individual and for Judas as someone who Jesus chose as one of his 12. Identity. You've got to choose it. You've got to receive it. And Peter's not the only one who talks about identity. Jesus isn't the only one who talks about identity. Paul talks about identity. Listen to this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, put on the new self. Self. We're talking about identity, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There it is again. We find identity in our maker. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now there are two things we need to note from this. Firstly, again, we have to receive from God our identity. Put on the new self. I can hand it to you, but you've got to put it on. You've got to choose to own it and make it your own. Secondly, you know, all these other areas we get identity from, culture, uh, national background, history, skills, achievements, all these other areas, what Paul says to us is that, you know, these things that usually in the world, they divide us. Actually, in Christ, we can find that they can unite us. See, you see, the, the, <laughs> It's such a tragedy in the world, isn't it? When our cultural background divides us or our skills divide us or our socioeconomic status divides us. And that's exactly what happens. But Jesus is saying, no, no, in me, all of these things can be a powerful force for unity. When actually we have every nation coming to the table and every experience coming to the table and every career coming to the table and every background coming to the table, each bringing something that in Christ leads us towards unity and a purpose that is in God rather than splitting us and bringing conflict and driving us away from one another. In Christ, there is unity. It is such an important thought. Can I ask you this morning, what has God said to you about who you are? What has he called out in your life at some point on this journey that you've been on? Who does God see in you when he looks at you? Because I'm not saying that culture and language and our place of birth or our education or our career or our skills, I'm not saying that they're not important. They are. But God sees all of those, and he sees what he purposed all of those things for in your life for his plan and glory. 
I mean, this is the beautiful thing. This is why Growth Track is so great, right? You go to Growth Track and you start to learn about your personality and your passions and your giftings and how God has shaped you for His purposes to make a difference in the world. Seek your identity in God and you will find your truest self. Seek your identity in God and you will find what you are created for. In the year 1466, a particularly large block of marble was quarried and taken down to the cathedral in Florence. And this cathedral was commissioning a whole range of sculptures to be made of Old Testament prophets. And this one particularly large block of marble, 17 feet, nearly 6 meters high, was designated for a statue of David. And they, and they commissioned a, a local artist, a guy who was uh, great at sculpture, an impressive guy, to do this work. But 10 years later on, all this guy had done was he'd made a few markings on it, drilled a couple of holes down where the legs were. He just couldn't see it. They took it off him and they gave it to another artist. 10 years later, again, nothing had happened. No work had been done on it. So they withdrew the commission for this. And for 25 years, this 17-foot high block of marble stood outside of the cathedral in Florence, being slowly weathered by the elements. Fast forward to uh, the year 1500. And there's this young artist uh, who's getting a bit of a name for himself, 26 years old, a guy by the name of Michelangelo. And so they contracted Michelangelo, one final attempt to see if this could be, do- could be done. It is said that when Michelangelo looked at this piece of marble, this huge weathered block of stone, he didn't see the misshapen chunk of rock, but right from the start, he saw the David that was within. It took two years before others saw the finished work, this astonishing statue that David had seen right from the start. And it's, if you've seen the, the statue of David, it's a statue of David standing there, somewhat less attired than I am, but he's holding a sling, and his sling is up over his shoulder, and he's looking with purpose because he's about to go and take down Goliath for the glory of God. It's an astonishing statue, and it is arguably the greatest statue ever created. Here's the thing. Sometimes someone sees the person in the rock like Michelangelo did. Sometimes someone sees the rock in the person like Jesus did with Peter. But here's the point. You need to know that when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see your past He doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see your problems. He doesn't see your successes. He doesn't see your culture. He doesn't see your sexuality. He doesn't see your confusion. He doesn't see your prejudice. He doesn't see your sin. What he sees is the person that God had in mind when he created you. And only by placing ourselves in his hands can that person be revealed to the world. Now, I want to go to the Scriptures and show you how this happens. So we're going to go to Judges chapter 6. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, a story about Gideon. Some of you will know the background. Israel has again been unfaithful to God over many years. God has kind of taken his blessing off Israel. And Midianites have come in. They've just destroyed the land. They've taken all of the food, all of the crops, completely subjugated Israel. Israel are now predominantly living in caves and and holes in the rock, just trying to get enough food together. And we come across one of these guys by the name of Gideon. And he is hiding in a a kind of a a pit that's dug out of the rock where uh, in good times they would... would, 
produce wine from this, but in bad times, he's hiding in there with a bit of wheat, trying to thrash it and thresh it so he can get some flour out of it, so he can make some bread. I mean, it is a pretty bleak picture. And to this guy, in this situation, the Lord comes. Let me read this to you. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak and offer that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I can kind of see Gideon popping his head up like, hey, like, who are you talking to? Because you're talking to the wrong guy if you think I'm a mighty warrior. And, and we read it in the scriptures, right? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. And, and so Gideon comes at it from, he's got two issues with what the, the, the angel of the Lord has said. One is about, well, where's God that supposedly is meant to be with his people? And number two, you've got the wrong guy. He says, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Well, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So, of course, once again, we start with identity, right? Who did Gideon see that he was? How can I save Israel? He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and here it is, and I am. I am the least in my family. First thought is this, right? Where, where did this come from? How did Gideon get to believe these things were true? Well, I'll tell you how. Because people told him. And isn't that exactly what happens? For most of us, where do we get our identity from? It's from things that people have told us, spoken over our lives. And some of those things are good, and some of those things are not good. And some of us go around believing we're an idiot, we're a loser, where there's no way forward for us. Why do I keep doing these things? Why? Because somewhere in our life, a bully, a, a friend, a, a friend, a teacher, a, a someone spoke these things over our lives, and what happened? Without thinking, we received it and chose it. And that has become the identity that we have now. And that's what happened with Gideon. He had unwittingly chosen and received this as his identity. My family is the least and all of the tribes, and I am the least in my family. And then God comes, and this is the great thing, right? God comes and sees something completely different. God sees something totally different, and he calls it out of him. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You see, as Michelangelo saw the warrior in the marble, so God saw the warrior in Gideon. And here's the crazy thing, right? God actually brought it out of him. Like, we sometimes miss this. We think we fail to see the radical transformation that happens in Gideon's life over the next few weeks or months. We're not quite sure how long this thing rolled out for. But it became something that not only transformed what Gideon did, but it transformed the way Gideon carried himself, the way he saw himself, and the way others saw him as well. So let me you know, fast forward. So what happens is God starts to speak to Gideon. He kind of, oh, I don't know, you know, and, and, it, and God says, well, you know, kill one of these bulls of your dad and go and sacrifice it, knock down the Baal of altar and uh, uh, the altar to Baal. And, 
and like small things, and Gideon's like, I'm a little bit scared. I'm going to do it at night if that's okay. And so he takes these little steps of faith, right? Which then slowly get bigger and bigger over time. And before long, God's now saying, call all of Israel to come out and fight. And he does, and they do. And then God calls him to whittle the army down until there's just 300 men. And so he does. And then they go out to battle, and they rout the Midianites. And the whole, the whole army of Midian just flee before Gideon. And he chases after them, and he's cutting them down. And then eventually he catches up with the two kings, Ziba and Zalmanah. And this is where we find revealed the incredible transformation that God had worked in Gideon's life. And he brought out this warrior that no one could see before, and Gideon sure couldn't see before. And let me take you to the scripture. In Judges chapter 8, verse 18. Now it says that he asked Ziba and Zalmanah, these two kings, remember, kings. And he's asking them because some of Gideon's family had been killed back at a place called Tabor. And he's trying to find out who's responsible for it. And, and this is what happens. He asked Zeba and Zalmanah, what kind of men did you kill at Tabor? And, like, this is great. and what do they say? These kings, they say, men like you. Each one, listen, with the bearing of a prince. Like, oh, hold on a second here. What happened to this little guy who's hiding in a wine press, just, just wouldn't stick his head up for anything, trying to get a little bit of wheat together. What happened between that guy who everyone saw as the least in his family and saw his family as the least in his tribe? What happened between that minute and here we are a few weeks or months later and now Gideon is walking in such a way that kings look at him and see people like them. Kings look at him and see royalty on his life. I mean, God has done an incredible, astonishing thing. And over that time, as Gideon just began to step up with little steps of obedience, stepping into what God called him to do in little ways, God began to draw something out of Gideon. And now Gideon, not only is doing different things, but Gideon is walking differently. He is talking differently. He now, he comes to people who don't even know him, have never seen him before, and they identify him as royalty. Man, that is powerful. That is powerful. And that's what God does with a life, right? That's what God does with a life as we, as we learn to take little steps of obedience over time. God starts to transform us. He starts to pull out of us what he always saw in us, but that which we and sometimes other people have never seen. Gideon has been utterly transformed. And God has pulled out of him the true identity that God knew was always in him. Can I ask you this morning? How many of us do you think does God look at and see a mighty warrior, but when we look in the mirror, we just see a weakling? How many of us does God look at and see an influential leader, but when we look in the mirror, we just see a loser? How many of us does God look at and see someone of great importance, but when we look in the mirror, we just see an imposter? And we wonder how long it's going to be until we're found out. How God longs to pull out of you the identity that he placed in you when he made you and he's called you to be. How God desires for you to place yourself in, in his hands and allow him to go to work in you and start to draw out that which is truly who you are created to be. Look, as the team come, we're just going to wrap up in a second. But let me ask you this. What identity do you want? Honestly, do you want what the world offers, what the world's trying to sell you, what others have labeled you with? Is that what you want? Or do you want something different? Something that maybe actually you're created to do and be and have, and it's in you, 
And God, if you will allow him to, will begin the process of bringing that out of you. How do we find our identity? Well, we've got, to, we've got to be able to see what God sees in us. And for some of us, it's as simple as just asking him. Because most of us have never asked God, God, what do you see in me? God, who am I really? God, what is it that you want to pull out of me? I'll talk more about that in a moment. For some of us, it, it, it's, it requires a bit more work. It's about going to the scriptures and starting to try and find ourselves in there, allowing the, the, the scriptures to be anointed by the Spirit, begin to speak to us. For some of us, it starts, like I said earlier, getting along to growth track and starting to catch a glimpse of our unique personality and our unique passions and our unique spiritual gifts and how they come together for something special in this world, to make a difference in a unique way. But here's the thing, right? You've got to draw near to God and place yourself in His hands today and again tomorrow and again the next day and take these seemingly minuscule, frustrating little steps of faith that he's asking you to take. But if you will, over time, God will transform you as surely as he transformed Peter, as surely as he transformed Gideon, as surely as he transformed so many people that we read about in the scriptures. You see, the, the difficult thing about our lives compared to what Michelangelo tried to do is that Michelangelo's block of marble never got up and wandered away. But how often do we get up and wander away, get distracted by other things, and find ourselves no longer in the hands of our maker who is working to pull out of us the greatness that he placed within us? I'm telling you, knowing your identity changes everything. You know, every, we try to do it every year. It doesn't always work. It didn't happen this year. Uh, but we try to have a staff retreat every year. Take the staff away for a few days. Draw near to God. And we do lots of work, and I put lots of teaching together and do all that kind of thing. But there's one activity we always do. And this activity is I give everyone a sheet of paper, and on that sheet of paper are four questions. And the rules are they've got to go, go, they have to go away for an hour. They're not allowed to speak to any other human being. And they have to ask those four questions of God and write down what they think that he is saying in reply. And you know what's so frustrating? is that every single retreat I've ever done with all of my hard work and effort, the most life-transforming and powerful moment is the one when none of them are listening to me. When they go away and they actually start listening to the Lord. And there was this one we did a few years ago. And, um, and one of the questions I'd written down on this list was the question, God, what do you love about me? God, what do you love about me? And it was touching on the identity question, right? It was saying, God, who do you see that I am? And I'd given it to all the team, and they'd all wandered off down this beach or wherever we were, and I thought, oh, I guess I should probably do this as well because I keep forgetting that I'm part of the staff as well. And so I, I took the sheet of paper, I walked down to the beach with my pen, and I asked this first question of God. I said, God, what do you love about me? And immediately it came back, and I can't tell you how I heard it. It wasn't with my ears, but it was somewhere in here. Immediately I heard back God saying, Mike, I love that you are a struggler. And I'm like, hey, that's not very encouraging. But luckily God wasn't finished. God said to me, I love that you are a struggler. Like Jacob, you're a wrestler. And like Jacob wrestled with the angel until he got the blessing, so you are that guy who I know will wrestle and struggle without letting go till you get the understanding that I want you to get out of something, till you get the insight that I need you to get out of it, until you get the breakthrough. I love that about you. You are a struggler. You are a wrestler. 
And I stood on the beach with tears in my eyes, just going, I received that. I received that, God. I'm delighted to be a struggler for you. And, and I know my identity in Christ. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm healed and I'm restored. I know that I'm loved. I also know that I'm made in the image of Jesus. I know that I've been given spiritual gifts to teach and to encourage and to lead. I know that. And I also know that I am a struggler. And I'm telling you, knowing my identity changes everything. Can I say to you this morning how God longs to bring out the warrior in you? How God longs to bring out the rock in you? God longs to bring out the struggler in you, the creative in you, the prophet in you, the lover in you, the leader in you. And some of us this morning have been struggling with identity, some of us for a very long time. And I really believe God wanted me to say, just to share how delighted he is that you are still struggling with it. Because it means that you haven't given up and walked away. You haven't gone, oh, it's never going to happen. You continue to ask the questions. You continue to wrestle with it. And the word of the Lord is, seek and you will find So don't be discouraged, for the Lord is wanting you to see it. And stop berating yourself for not being able to see it. Maybe it's time to draw near again, place yourself back in His hands again. You see, knowing our identity always starts with surrender. Maybe there's some of us here this morning that need to come again and surrender again. God, I lay aside what I've always wanted, and I choose today to want what you've always seen in me. God, I surrender and I lay my life down. God, show me who I truly am. God, show me what I've got to do, what my next steps are to become the man or the woman that you see in me, that you've called me to be in this world, in this generation, for your glory. Come on. I'm going to ask you all to stand for a moment. We're going to pray together. Jesus, I love, I love, I love, Lord, that you see so much deeper in me than I see. God, I thank you that for every single one of us here, Lord, you created us. Every single one of us here, God, you see the warrior within. You see the creative within. You see the powerful one within, God, and you desire to pull that out of us, to chip away all the things on the outside until what is what was in your heart is finally revealed to the world. God, I pray for every one of us here, God, that you will continue that work in us. And God, we surrender ourselves to you again this morning. We ask, mighty God, that you might bring out for the world to see what you see. Show us our true identity, Lord. Make of us what you always wanted to make of us. In Jesus' name, amen.